this is Tim Vine, and you're listening to Joe Davis and Nick Page and their mid-face crisis. It's, uh, who knows what that'll be like? Nose! It's the middle of the face! It's mid-face! It's mid-face, not face! Oh, shove it. Welcome to episode 38, I believe. Yes, indeed. As you've just, as you've just reminded me it is. <laughs> Again. Of the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. My name's Nick Page and I'm here with my good friend Joe Davis. Joe, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you. Great to be back. You're not very well. Oh, you say that. It. You are, in fact, no, still I ill. I am. Still. Still. I know. I know. And you've just come back from physio. The cough that goes on and on. The backache that goes on and on. I know. Mm. I'm falling apart. I'm old. I'm a year older, and I feel every every single moment of my fifty three years. Oh, well, sad! You try try looking down on it from my advanced age. <laughs> I could come and minister to you with anointing and my healing hands. I have healing hands. Do you know that? I believe that the police put an end to that ministry. <laughs> That's what. Well, that was Mark told the judge anyway. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what you been up to apart from being ill? Uh, you know, just a normal round of things. I went to see Keeping Your Feet last night. What a great British film that is. Makes you proud. Well worth it. Did you go and see Shape of Water, by the way? No, I missed it. Oh, by the time Nick. I got round to it, it's not on anywhere. Well, it might be, and I just haven't. Well, I think it was on in the middle of Oxford somewhere, but I balked at paying £12 to go and see it. No, you shouldn't. You, know? you should pay £3, which is what you well, would do if you lived in Worthing, somewhere sensible. Yes, but I'm not ready to retire yet. So that's why I that's why I don't live in Worthing. Well, I think we should get on really because we have a we have an absolutely packed. Show. We've got the lovely Alexander Shire coming up, which oh. is just incredible. He Never have I cool. heard a more oh look at me, my new best friend Alexander interview. I mean, well, he's just brilliant. really. I'm trying not to be jealous, but you know, genuinely, I would travel the seven seas to hear him speak, and he came to our house to speak, and he just blew our minds. I mean, it was anyway. We. Sh- We'll come to, on to that later. But he is my new best friend. You've been completely replaced. Yeah, well, there we are. I'm a bit hurt, but anyway, carry on. Well, you can never. Mm. Speaking of lovely people, Valerie says, been meaning to write to you for some time. I've been a listener right from episode one. Well done, Valerie. Well Goodness done. Me. Well, and get, get some friends. I know. She Fantastic. says, I just want to say how much I look forward to and enjoy your podcast. I'm a worship leader in my local church. I don't think you've approached the subject of worship as far as I can remember. I've been a member of quite a few different congregations and denominations in my life and worship seems to be the most attacked ministry in the church it's a very upfront and vulnerable ministry i'm feeling i'm i'm feeling a bit convicted here at the no, moment. No, no, no. Any, <laughs> no no she's a supporter it's all right but she's okay. she makes a valid point it's a, it's a very upfront and vulnerable ministry and the people involved in it are by their very nature mostly creative sensitive people you're putting yourself on the line every sunday and sometimes i think people think you're auditioning for the x factor and they've got a right to vote on your performance mm. but performance is the last thing on your mind you just want to do your best for the lord and help people to experience his presence in a deeper way the other elephant in the room is just how you please everyone in a mixed age congregation. Should we try putting Amazing Grace to a hip hop beat or should Revelation Song have a 50s big band sound? And just what exactly does the phrase mean? Worship is not just about music, it's a lifestyle. Usually proffered when you've just played and sung your heart out. I do hope to hear some amusing anecdotes during your love 
uh, from you that I can have a chuckle about when I next come under attack. Love and blessings and do keep up the good work. So there we are, Valerie. Uh, a lovely email from Valerie just pointing out the impossible task of the worship mm. leader. And I thought that provides a, a suitable bit of balance for us. Yes, yes. And I think, we, you know, we do uh, t- take a little bit of the mickey out of the words. Of songs. Uh, of the songs. I'm not, you know, I, don't, I think, I hope we don't take the mickey no. out of people um, putting their heart into it. No, exactly. No, I don't think so. Um, but some of the words and lyrics of songs are ridiculous, as we know. Genuinely stupid, yes. But it, it is a good point. How do you please? You can't please everyone, Valerie. You just can't be done. And I, I remember uh, one of the books I read, it was, it was saying it's a bit like the, the, uh, the music station, the radio station that decides it wants to reach out to everyone. So it plays country and western and rock and roll and hip hop and all those things. And of course, what you get is nobody listening to that station oh. because everybody hates it. And yet here is the worship leader trying to please everyone. God oh. bless you, Valerie. Thanks for writing in. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, Peter wrote in uh, and said, as I mentioned, uh, my own mid-faith crisis has been going on for many years and I finally extricated myself from close involvement in what I call conventional church. I use the term conventional to mean any institutional setting where there's a culture of conformity to conventions, whatever those are, hand-waving, incense, saying the right things, conforming to the expectations of appropriate behaviour, blah, blah, blah. Here's the issue. I have enormous difficulty communicating what's going on to folks who ask, why aren't you coming to church these days? My attempts too often seem to go badly wrong with typical reactions ranging from I'll pray for you and you're making no sense at all to so what do you really believe now? Do you still believe Jesus is Lord? Following a dinner party at the weekend where I had some old church friends completely bewildered by my responses, my wonderful wife Lucy suggested that in future I don't bother trying to explain my faith journey. She's wise and pragmatic. So the question is this. How do you communicate what's going on in your faith without generating quite such concerned and bewildered responses? Is it even possible? I'd love to hear you guys chew over that one. Well, I think in one sense, the fact that people are concerned and bewildered shows how much they care. You know, yeah, I wouldn't see yeah, it as entirely a, good... a negative thing. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's, you know, that they're, they're in one place and... You're in a different place, and they, you know, for rightly or wrongly, feel yeah. that you've lost something, and and so I think, I think it's understandable, and I don't, I think we should look on it with, um, you know, a, a bit of, uh, it's, it's, you know, they, they're just trying to sort of, yeah, um, that's a gracious understand. response. That's, I am a gracious man. Joe. You are. I would probably be Can't less help it. gracious. So Peter asked that question. I think it's a really important question, and probably it deserves a pretty much a podcast of its own in a way, which is, you know, how do you communicate about what's going on without generating um, concern and bewilderment? Yeah. Uh, and is that possible? And I don't know what you think. I think it's, um, I think it is possible, but I think it's difficult. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think you shouldn't even attempt to do it unless someone is genuinely interested. That's That's the discernment process that you need to go through. Do you, do you really need to defend where you're at or do you need to not defend? Yeah. Do you need to just let them say their piece? I, th- I think that's difficult because on the other hand, doesn't that sort of force you into a rather difficult position of sort of denial? You know, like a secret life as if you, you know, you haven't... Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's kind of you're, you're falling out of love with this particular church, you're not going in and yet you don't want to talk about it and so you you live a kind of double life I, to people yeah 
Well, I don't want to promote that. Here's what I really think. I think here's the journey of the mid-faith crisis. The message is this. God loves you. You're all right. You can, you can take some confidence in being who you are and being honest about who you are. So I, I really think it's important to, to, to learn to be that, to be really honest about who you are. But as is always the case... You learn to discern who can handle it and who can't. Mm-hmm. So someone who's just wanting to defend their position, who just wants to ask loads of questions, they, they can't handle that mm. you found a new freedom, a new space to question, a new place where God is expansive and more loving and more gracious than you ever dared dream and more inclusive than we ever dared dream or imagine. And, and, and they're still locked into an old way of thinking. So mm-hmm. don't... Don't try and convert them other than by being loving and kind and gracious. And and people get very locked into the idea of who, who is orthodox, who is and who isn't a believer, don't they? Well, exactly right. And, and, and uh, you know, I was chatting to a friend this week. I mean, I won't, I won't say his name because, you know, he listens to the podcast. But um, his mother passed away recently. And, um, and so he's going through, you know, bereavement. He's going through grief. And he... he he told me this story today of a meeting up with someone he used to work with in a ministry at the weekend. And this person, his first question when he told him that his mother had died was, was, um, was, was, was she a believer? Mm. And it was like, and like, instead of saying yes, he just, he, he just found that such a narrow question, I think, you know, to like, like to dissolve his whole mother's life into this one question was she a believer that's all that mm, matters mm. And, and then later on you know the question how are your kids do, are they believers do they go to church you know and all that sort of thing and my friend felt as I do you know what the <laughs> does it sorry I've just made more work for you there sorry but you just think really is this is this yeah. all that matters yeah. to you? Is it all that matters? Is your view of God and faith so narrow? The only question is, can you tick all the boxes and be certain they're in heaven somewhere else now? Ugh. Grr. Is well, what I, I say. Think, yes, I, I, I think that's insensitive That in that particular inst- instance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I think perhaps, again, what was in their mind is trying to... Yeah. find some comfort as if somehow the loss for us well I think they want to fix because, it don't they yeah because you know but but people feel the loss whatever you know no. that doesn't change um, yeah I just think that's a bit crass really it was a bit this email came in from Malcolm and he's got such a great quote in it that's relevant uh, to the questions that um, I think Peter's posing. He says, Hi, Joe and Nick. Many thanks to Midfaith Crisis, which continues to feed, provoke and make me smile. Not sure if you mentioned the book Leaving Church by Barbara Brown Taylor, but the following quote from page 224 of her book seems to sum things up. And here it comes. It says, I have learned to prize holy ignorance more highly than religious certainty and to seek companions who've arrived at the same place. We are a motley crew distinguished not only by our inability to explain ourselves to those who are more certain of their beliefs than we are, but in many cases by our distance from the centres of our faith communities as well. Like campers who have bonded over cook fires far from home, we remain grateful for the provisions that we have brought with us from those cupboards, but we also find them more delicious when we share them with one another under the stars. 
What a great quote. And then yeah, uh, and then Malcolm says, looking forward to time under the stars at Lee Abbey. So that's yeah. fantastic. Very hey. good. Well, isn't that great? Yeah, I, I, that's a lovely quote. And I think... Um, you know, I think that certainly does sort of resonate with a lot of. I like ho- holy ignorance. I mean, the hist- You know, when you look at the history of the church, you do realise how much it is Christians arguing over things that we don't know much about. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. it's 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 whether or not you're wrong in the right way. Yes, really. indeed. <laughs> it's, it's a sort of orthodoxy of ignorance going on. <laughs> you know, um, and of course, uh, Malcolm mentions Lee Abbey there, and uh, I can't wait to see him there. And and any other listeners who are around. At, uh, on the June the 25th to the 29th book now at Lee, to come to Lee Abbey. Talking of which, I've had a letter here. Oh, right. I've had a letter from one of our long-time correspondents. Uh, dear, she says this, Dear Reverend and Mrs Davis, It's come to my attention that you're holding a week's retreat in Devon this year with somebody called Lee Abbey. I don't know who this person is, but perhaps you would let me know the time and place I should like to attend. I say attend, I will mainly be standing outside picketing the event and handing out tracts. And uh, she goes on, this is Ethel, of course, and she goes on to say, um, I, I noticed that you asked for our favourite hymn lyrics. May I share mine with you? So this is good, isn't it? Well, that's um, wonderful. This is from a, from a very old hymn. It's one of our old favourites. It goes uh, called Celestial Orbs. I think we know it. Is it? Her, the favourite verse is, <laughs> Celestial orbs do spin and glow in firmamental glimmer. The angelic hosts their trump proclaim, I really miss my zimmer. Yes, Isn't that lovely? That's a classic one. It's a beautiful one. <laughs> Shall we move yeah, on? Can we? I think we should. Anyway, uh, she said, anyway, uh, God bless you and see you soon, Ethel Saddleperson. So we look forward to seeing her in the summer. So we have another email here um, yep. from one Ethel Saddleperson to somebody very young. Okay, had a brilliant email from Liz. Not least because she said, dear Nick and Dave. I mean, is this the highest honour of my life that I've actually been called Dave? You're actually uh, a Dave. I aspire, Dave. To, I aspire I to Davehood. I've arrived. Uh, she says, like one of the writers uh, mentioned in the last podcast, I'm I'm young too, almost 27, and definitely still find myself relating to so much of your podcast. I'm a vicar's kid and have been involved in church my whole life and a variety of churches that have contrasted in lots of ways. When I was younger, I was quite black and white uh, thinker, blah, 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 blah. And she says, anyway, a piece of advice I would give when feeling any guilt about your doubts is to treat yourself as you would treat Treat a friend. Would you judge your friend harshly for taking a church break or rethinking some ways? No, but we are often extremely judgmental when we ourselves behave that way. And I thought that was a lovely bit of advice from Liz oh, there. Very about wise. you know, so true. We're so compassionate and kind towards others, but we can beat ourselves up so much. And and she's oh. really encouraging us just to, you know, take it a bit more lightly. Okay, uh, we had a lovely one in from Mike uh, in Australia. He said, uh, my current struggle is constant application. I want to put my hand up at the end of the Sunday sermon and say, Pastor, I'm exhausted. I haven't had the energy slash determination to have a go at putting into practice what you told us last month, let alone last Sunday. Am I alone? He says, no, you're not, Mike. No, on the other hand, I do know many, many uh, people in churches who who uh, are desperate for some kind of application yeah, <laughs> at the end of the sermon. You, you know, yeah, <laughs> ask, me no, to, ask me to do something. Ask me to do anything. <laughs> but I suppose you can have too much of a good thing. Yes, okay. you, you know, you can. It, it can become rather a burden. Okay, so I'm ploughing on. Uh, Jeanette okay. says, Hi, Joe and Nick. I enjoy your podcast so much. I'm a faithful listener uh, when I have the opportunity. It's relevant to where I'm in my faith walk and laugh out loud funny, which is a bonus. I live in Colorado, US, but I'm originally from California. She says, I realise I'm a little behind in the episodes, but I'd like to thank you for your episode on parenting. 
I hope lots of parents listened. It was very gracious and liberating. Perhaps the single most influential life event that catapulted me into a mid-faith crisis has been parenting. Said I've adopted children who are now I've adopted five children in fact who are now adults it was my great desire to raise my children to have a relationship with Jesus and to know their worth through that relationship unfortunately I attended a very fundamental church while my children were young the book you read from everything your child should know about God would have been daily reading material focus on the family was where we got all our parenting advice and followed what they said to the letter you get the picture I'm happy to say that my children are now free to think for themselves and I believe are happier for it. I pray always that God would reveal himself to them as so much more loving than I as a parent portrayed him to be. Now that they are adults, I've apologised for their rigid upbringing and encouraged them to parent their children in a much more lenient, lenient and accepting manner. None of them attend church but still believe, which is fine with me. My good friend Lacey Borgo has taught me so much about guiding children in their own relationship with Jesus. I think her books are a great resource for parents. Great. Yeah, well, we love Lacey. I love that email because not least it mentions Lacey Borgo, who is just mm. what a wonderful human being. Yes, very good. Yes. And she has written and, uh, a load of great books. And we do make mistakes about parenting. You know, we do oh. look back and think, why did I do that? And, you know, but I think, um, you know, uh, that's just it. We're just trying to do the best thing we know at that time, really. Yes. But it sounds like, it sounds like um, you have um, worked that out very well. So yeah. that's great. Terrific. Incidentally, thanks for seeing my daughter the other day she well i just had to correct you. your parenting I obviously and so i like to spend some time i know her. and she is so grateful to you for that indeed anyway we went to the pub which is my kind my kind of parent i know yeah didn't you go to hear my goddaughter perform I went to hear my daughter and your goddaughter perform in her band called sweet tooth and they were very good um, well my mm. daughter says she was utterly brilliant there you go mm, well, so Okay, and uh, okay, so one last email from Linda it says hi, Joe and Nick, which I like because the and Nick was in brackets. Yeah, I didn't of... even get called Dave. Hi, Joe, mostly and Nick. <laughs> and says, I came across a show at the beginning of Lent during my fruitless search for a meaningful podcast about religion. I was looking for something Christian that wasn't afraid to tackle serious questions I've pondered during my own mid faith crisis. Since Ash Wednesday, I've listened to all 37 of them. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness me you should you seem woman. to be fasting from common sense in lent say. Exactly. Well, she says thank you linda what a star your self-deprecating and dry british sense of humor shows that you don't take yourselves too seriously really uh so refreshing given the abundance of preachy podcasts out there being from the u.s i have to take issue with your use of californian as your oh, refer- hello yeah as your reference to new agey thought californian stereotype to me means self-absorbed appearance focused flashy card driven and fame obsessed think of the kardashians if you haven't heard of them consider yourself lucky maybe a better term would be coloradan or oregonian i think that's how you say it. their mountains and outdoor lifestyle lends themselves to a more spiritual feel or maybe it's just because they smoke more weed there i'm looking forward to future podcasts especially the upcoming what the hell episode i was going to raise the same question about those who aren't christians and what their ultimate fate would be thank you for keeping it real thank you so, linda thank you linda I'm looking forward um, to what the hell as well. Well, yes, yeah, so am I. Uh, if only I knew what I thought about it. Now, um, you know, uh, the Californian thing, I suppose I, it's about hippie, yeah. isn't it, really? Perhaps Definitely. people can suggest a better a better uh, adjective than Californian. If yes, we don't know. want to alienate our Californian listeners. Not at all, no. I know Whom I strongly support. <laughs> yes, I know some Californians and they're, they're not at all whiffly and hippie like you. No, exactly. Worthingtonian is probably better. <laughs> Worthing is such a great place. Yeah. As I was telling Alexander Shire. 
just the Very other week. Good. So seriously, uh, he did blow our minds. He he was just amazing, and uh, and and I know I you know we joke about being the new best friends and everything, but he was extraordinary. He came to the house. We did this lovely meal and evening with the Soul Place here, and it's it's just so refreshing to hear someone who's got such a great understanding of the Jewish context because of his background, which I'm not going to go into because he can explain it. And he has such a lovely voice. I mean, I could just listen to him for hours. I want him to read me a bedtime story. (laughs) That is how lovely he is. Mm. So what we're going to do here is we're going to have a two-part interview. And we're just going to play this first part of the interview and then, you know, the podcast will end there. I don't think we're going to pick up on anything because uh, you're not well and Mm. I'm bored. So, yes. you know, put those Well, you've together. been replaced, to be fair. Yes, I've been replaced. Yeah, I'm yeah. bitter, envious, and yeah. uh, generally upset. Exactly. So that's fine. So what we're going to do is we'll we play this, and then uh, in a couple of weeks' time we'll have part two. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it'll be in- really interesting to see uh, what you think about what he says. So um, this is Joe interviewing Alexander Shire in, in the cosmopolitan throbbing hub that is Worthing. Well, I am delighted to say that I am here with none other than my best new friend, Alexander Shire. Alexander Shire, welcome to the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. Thank you, Joe, and I'm here with my new best friend. <laughs> Thanks. And we've enjoyed the Thai food of Worthing already. And, uh, and uh, I should describe the Truly, I-, I would come all the way from the States to eat there again. It was good, it wasn't was it? It was very good. Another good And reason. I love Thai food. Excellent. Well, it's it's just so good to come to Worthing yeah. because we have it all here, yeah. uh, as our listeners are bored of hearing uh. already. But um, welcome. It's great. So uh, this is the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. And uh, I guess like many of the podcasts uh, that you feature on, we're a group of people who are just trying to make sense of faith. And you have contributed so much in that space of people who are trying to reconstruct what's been deconstructed. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for being here and welcome. But before we really get going on this, tell us a little bit about yourself, Alexander. Where are you from? Uh, oh, that's, what brings that's, you here? Uh, I'm from an airplane seat. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, home is Santa Fe, New Mexico, USA. Right. And it's this uh, beautiful Spanish village at about 8,000 feet at the bottom of the Rockies in the U.S. And, yeah. and uh, I love this place. I've just sold my home. Um, so I'm sort of casting about, as somebody said, I'm dating the planet to see where home <laughs> shall be next. But I do. The, Santa Fe is a big part of my heart. Okay. Wonderful. And then, and then a little bit about your background. How did you come to write a book like Heart and Mind? So let's, I, think, let's, I don't let's think we've got enough time for that full story. Okay. Let me see if I can shorten it down. Uh, I'm first generation Lebanese. Uh, my parents came to the United States uh, as infants in their parents' arms. They went to Birmingham, Alabama, which at that point was a booming industrial city. And um, the Lebanese community came under the thumb of the KKK. So I grew up during very difficult years in, in Alabama in the 1950s. Um, at, the, at the opening of my book, Heart and Mind, I tell the story of how the KKK burned down my grandmother's house when I was seven wow. years old. Wow. And standing outside and watching that house 
go up in flames, not knowing where she was and assuming because uh, she was crippled, assuming that she was in the house, which very fortunately she was not. Um, five days later, we were at Sunday dinner uh, in the American South, and my grandmother always said grace before dinner. This day, we were waiting to see if she would say anything else, which, which in fact, she didn't pick up her fork. She looked around the room, which was about 70 of us even in those days. And she looked at each one of us very briefly, looked us in the eye, and then quietly said to all of us, no hate, no hate, no hate. And in some conscious way, that was the beginning of my journey because I had sat on her lap as, an, as a young boy, um, spending much time with her my, while my parents were walk, working. And we didn't have literature. We didn't have folk tales. Um, my grandparents could not read or write. But they had memorized the Gospels, which is the way of the village in Lebanon for hundreds of years. And in the Middle East, if something is sacred, it is never said. It is only chanted. And so my grandmother would chant the Gospel text to me in a mixture of Arabic and Aramaic. And something of the, the feel, something beneath the words just went into my heart. Uh, and I, th one of the first things I learned is, is that it's not just the words alone, that there's something that's in the soil of the words, uh, which is very powerful. But in that moment, as a seven-year-old, when she said, no hate, I said to myself, I want to know how you do that. I want to know how, at this point in her life where she had just lost everything that she mm -hmm. had brought from the old country, uh, and her husband had just died a few months prior uh, of a heart attack. But in that moment, her only concern was for the rest of us. And all of that prayer and that chanting of the gospel text in that moment became true. And I somehow knew in that moment that the rest of my life was going to be about something about the gospel, something about a presence that's in the gospel, but also something about no hate. Something about how we bridge division. Wow, wow, that's great, and that's, it's interesting. You you've just very kindly allowed me to watch your copy of the Heretic <laughs> and the Rob Bell story, and that, who's a friend of yours, of course. Rob and is a friend. He describes you as his favorite teacher. Yeah, I, he's he's very generous and and genuine, and I what. There are so many people at the level that Rob is of sort of popularity. At, mm. Uh, when you're with Rob, there's none of that, and yeah. he and and he is only there to help me, which is just amazing. Well, I, he, I hope that I can be that generous. I hope he will one day be important enough to come on this podcast. Mm. But for the time being, we only have his favourite teacher. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> We were chatting uh, earlier, and um, and you were talking about this Joseph Campbell and. Why, why is he so important for you? Well, I, Joseph Campbell um, was a, a huge person in the United States in the 1970s and 80s and 90s, and then was, has been sort of forgotten. So Joseph Campbell was a mythologist, right. and he taught college at Sarah Lawrence. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to bring his students into reading world mythology 
and helping them understand how every one of these great stories comes out of the same well. I mean, Joseph would say over and over again, and where I'm leading, Joseph taught me when I was at the University of Notre Dame okay. uh, in these seminars that he would do there every springtime. Uh, and he would talk about there is only one story going on in the universe, even though there may be seven billion scripts or a hundred okay. billion scripts. There is, if it's a great story, there is a rhythm um, and a structure which makes it a great story. And you either have that structure or you don't. And if you don't have that structure, your story's not going to endure. That's right. And that's why today many film writers um, are studying Joseph Campbell's work. Uh, as we know, wow. Lucas, uh, the development of Star Wars, uh, Joseph Campbell was the consultant. Was he? Uh, yes, because because Lucas understood there's only one great story. And we, we can costume it in billions of ways. But what Joseph would say is there is a there there are four parts to the great story, mm-hmm. and he named the first part of the great story as hearing the summons to a journey. Yeah. Uh, the second part is enduring tremendous obstacles and trials, and the third part is receiving the gift or his word the boon, and the fourth part is returning to community with larger responsibility. So so there's a bigger story. There's a big story going on in the universe. There's a big story going on in the universe. And, and actually, Rob would then say, this is the, this is the hum, this is, Campbell put words on the hum of the universe. Right. That this is how yeah, the, like ener- this is how the yeah. energy moves in the universe. Right. And because this is how energy moves, therefore, this is how the great story must be told. And then the next piece for me is understanding this from Campbell was, okay, well, Jesus is the greatest story or one of the greatest stories ever. So, therefore, is there a connection between this great story and its four parts and our ending up with four texts we call the gospel? Fantastic. Now, I want to come on to all this, but because our time is precious, uh, we're going to divide this podcast into two two parts okay um because i i'm getting yeah i've been chatting to you over lunch and dinner and we're going to be talking all evening and we we got this special evening tonight but you've said so many fascinating things that i'm going i must put that in the podcast i must put that in the podcast so first you said some stuff about paul we were talking about paul earlier and you were explaining to me why why it was so critical paul that we understand paul Yes. In terms of organizational development, and that stuff was so great. So can you just repeat some of that stuff you were saying? Well, yeah, I'm going to link Paul to, to Joseph Campbell, not that, yeah. that, but, but energetically. Um, we're here, we're sitting here today in Christianity because of Paul. Uh, it, Paul is the critical figure in the development of this message. And here I'm going to say something which I would not have understood except that I, I do, my doctorate is in clinical psychology, and my two areas of study were trauma and organizational development. And I had no idea how perfect those two were going to be for, for understanding something more about the gospel text. But here's the issue. Every organization that is founded by a charismatic leader, mm-hmm. and my Christianity is probably the greatest of all organizations by one of the greatest, if not the greatest, charismatic leader. The first generation and second are the poor teachers of the message. Their, their mm-hmm. role is to be the bridge between the founder 
and the third generation that does not directly know the founder. Everyone who sees the founder is a very poor explainer of the message because they don't know how to discriminate between the message and the personality. Okay, so so, so what you're saying is the founder has this message and everyone around them just defers to the founder. and They defer know. to the founder and they mix it in with, I know how he walked. I know how he chewed his food. I know how he, how he told the yeah. story. Yeah. And here's, here's the challenge that Peter and James and Mary Magdalene and all of those original ones that we, yeah. are, that we hold in such great esteem, and we should, when they went out to tell about Jesus, everybody's going to say, well, you saw something. What does that have to do with me? Yeah. Paul comes along, and I want all of our biblical scholars to hear this, Paul comes along and did not see the historical Jesus, yeah. had none of that charisma material, none of those accurate words of Jesus, etc. And Paul sets the first um, century Mediterranean world on its ear, sets their hearts on fire because Paul knows the rest of the story. Paul knows that it's not a story located in history alone. It's a story located in you right now. Right. And that make and that totally changes us from a tradition of history, which was where our tradition has gotten ourselves locked into a box in the last couple hundred years, because we're looking for the real Jesus rather than understanding that Jesus is a a present moment energy across the cosmos and in you and I. And Paul would say Jesus is more present today yeah. on the planet than he was to the original ones. We have more access to the message today than wow. the original ones did because, because of our growing awareness and because Jesus is here. And we are not trying to drive our tradition forward by looking in the rearview mirror. That's so great. That's so great. I'll well, it is. I mean, so, well, I mean, I mean no, we won't. <laughs> well, I mean, the power of the original ones and the stories that yeah. they brought forward is they locate us in time. Yeah. So that we know that Jesus is not a fable. Yeah. But the power... So we've got some historicity. Well, absolutely, yeah, we've got historicity. Yeah. But the historicity is not where the truth is. The historicity this is... is so interesting. Is that that history is present right now in, in us. Yeah. And what Paul does is Paul stops telling the historical story and starts talking about the Jesus that's right here in you. He speaks like a mystic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and he powers us forward because he disconnects us from geography and from history, which every religious tradition up to this point on the planet was connected to a piece of land somewhere and a temple somewhere. And, a, and, and what Paul does is, no, we're not going to have a holy land. And Christianity is the tradition which has no holy land except where you are. Yeah. Forget this about there's a holy land somewhere in the Middle East. That that's a revered place where Jesus wa was, but where is Jesus now? Jesus is everywhere in our holy yeah, land. It's yeah. every cell of the cosmos. Yeah. And that's Paul. This is Paul said, exciting. "Do not yeah. look back. Jesus yeah. is here. We don't have a temple in Jerusalem. Our temple is where we put the table where everybody's invited. That's our temple." And this makes such sense because I feel the energy rising in me as you talk about this whereas when i get into debates with people about you know well 
did the ascension literally happen or did it not literally happen and was this literally true it's so boring and you feel the energy sort of drain out of yourself well yes as you you start and, those and, and, debates that can never be answered well, anyway. no no and, and i mean here we and are so fruitless <laughs> yeah we're, we're in the days and now leading up to easter what was Easter for the early? What was Easter for the first seven hundred years of Christianity? The the proclamation was not Jesus coming out of a tomb. I'm not discounting that at all. The proclamation of resurrection is right now. The proclamation is: Is your heart larger? Are are you growing in love? Do you have more ability to reconcile and forgive? Are you seeking deeper justice? If if that's going on, resurrection is. Otherwise, you're proclaiming a sacred newspaper. <laughs> that's a really interesting way of putting it well it's exactly true they, they and they didn't use any text of resurrection from any of the gospels they only used one gospel as the text of, of the Easter story of resurrection which was John and the reason for that is because in John when two people come together their hearts enlarge that's what they meant by resurrection of wow <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, now look, let's let's earth some of this. So, um, we are going to talk about the fourfold past, but okay. I'm, I'm going to split this in. I, I'm just going to. I'm holding you back. Um, let's just say, imaginary listener out there is going to church. They're doing the classic thing that we we uh, Nick and I often talk about, which is they go there one day and they go, "Huh, is this it?" And, you know, that feeling starts to grow in them and grow in them. And, you know, they're trying their best. They're following the rules, right? And they're being good, committed people. And they're going to their groups. But they're, you know, inside, they're yeah. shriveling. Yeah. Your listeners can't see me nodding no, in, nodding you, in agreement with you. Thank you. <laughs> How would you encourage that person? What would you say to that person who's in mid-faith crisis? You know, it's, it's breaking down. They've got questions. They've got nowhere to answer the questions. They... They're just carrying this sense of, is this all there is to faith or is there something more out there? Yeah. How, what would you say? Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story here. And it's about the, it's about the work of C.G. Young, the Swiss psychologist. And he used to keep a bottle of cognac on his desk. And when someone would come in with a great sorrow, he would open the box the bottle of cognac and he would pour a little bit and they would toast each other and he would say to your coming success and when someone would come into his office with a great success he would open the buck the bottle of cognac and pour a little and he would say and to your coming grief um if you are in a moment where you feel like you've lost your way this is the most fertile rich moment of your life and what is coming now, if you stay the course, and I do want to talk about the four gospel yeah. journey because this is part of it, yeah. but you're in this place probably largely because your old life is too small and there is some incredible new vitality and largesse which is on the horizon. You're going to have to go through some stuff to get there. But what's happening, this, this feeling of constriction and dullness and, uh, and lack of energy and vitality is because what has been uh, is over and there's something new to reach for. Wonderful. Okay, we're going to pause it there. 
thank you so much and mm. we'll come back with part two yeah. next time